one day left on earth, what would you do? What changes would you make in your own life? Would you go to work? Would you book the first plane to California or Hawaii or Omaha? Would you tell that person you always see at Starbucks that they're really fine? Would you remind your best friend just how important they are to you? Would you take the plunge and skydive? What's the risk? This is it. All you got is one day more. One day more. To worry that you have one day, one month, or one year left alive is to be diagnosed. And in America, the one word no one ever wants to hear their doctors say aloud is the C word. There will be an estimated 1.9 million new cases of cancer diagnosed by year's end, according to the American Cancer Society. The group also projects that nearly 609,000 people will die of cancer. That's more than the population of St. Louis, Missouri and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania combined. Last year, cancer diagnoses were down due to fewer doctor visits during the global pandemic. Of course, it's not the diagnosis that's deadly, it's the disease. Knowledge really is power. Knowledge gives one the chance to turn one day more into one more case of remission, a result of medicine, healthy habits, and prayer. Please don't give up on me. Back in 2017, Frances Hammond was undergoing her annual mammogram when it was discovered that something wasn't quite right. Unfortunately, or was it fortunately, Hammond was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was 60. Her life changed, but that didn't end. In fact, this is where her story begins. Today, meet cancer survivor and positive mindset advocate Frances Hammond. Hear the story of Frances in a place called Hopewell Junction. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. We would like to thank our local title sponsor for supporting Interludes, A1 Pestmasters, for all your exterminating and pest control needs. This episode is brought to you by our national sponsor, Montevilla Coffee and Tea. And now, all the way live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Lou. Give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. We'll hear Frances Hammond tell her story. What you should know is that her story is unusual among African-American women. According to the American Cancer Society and other recent studies, black women under the age of 40 have higher rates of breast cancer compared to white women. And African-American women under the age of 35 
are diagnosed with breast cancer at a rate two times higher than white women and die from breast cancer three times as often as white women. The same disparities black people encounter in other aspects of life are present when it comes to health care, and the disparities extend into other ways we fight the disease. According to a recent study out of UNC Chapel Hill, black women receive treatment later than other women and have that treatment extend for a longer amount of time. Based on this research, it's clear that there has been and continues to be the need to be targeted outreach to address the needs of black women when it comes to cancer. Frances Hammond doesn't tell every woman's story, she tells her story. Here it is. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is another episode of Interludes. Today, I wanna to introduce you to a champion, a cancer survivor who has started a podcast called The Unexpected Detour. I'm happy to call her friend and colleague, Frances Hammond. How are you? I'm great, and you? How's everything? I'm doing great. I'm uh, I'm the traveling gypsy this week, so I'm happy to uh, say hello from St. Louis. All right, what was your first reaction when you learned that you had breast cancer? Unbelief. I didn't believe it. I was I was really in shock, confused. I was just really in unbelief. And the first thing I was, did was I said, you know what? I don't believe that. Because it was so strange the way the tech was doing the mammogram and she just took so much time on that left side. And I kept asking, are you sure everything's okay? Right. And she kept saying, everything is fine. You're going to be okay. But in my mind, I just knew it wasn't fine. So I just did some research and I decided I would go vegan and all kinds of stuff because I was, I'm overweight. And I said I had to remove stress from my life because all of these things could attribute to cancer. Right. So I figured if I did that and then I went back for a second opinion, it would be gone. Unbeknownst to me, it wasn't until I got that biopsy that I believed it was real. That's when I really believed it. It was the biopsy. Oh. And believe you me, that that I, I cried. But my only thing was, how was I going to tell my son? He wasn't here. He was in Jordan. And I'm like, how am I going to explain it to this kid that his mother has breast cancer and he's in Jordan taking pictures? But he was okay with it. You know, he actually uh, was like, don't worry about it, Ma. You're going to be okay. So that helped. You know, yeah. but, you know, it, it doesn't affect you unless you're really going through it, mm -hmm. no matter what anybody says, you're going to be okay. You know, you got to believe it in your mind. You're going to be okay. And so that's how I did it. I had to believe that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And to hear that reassurance coming from your son, the person that you were dreading to tell that that's very telling. Yeah. And, how would you describe it as a detour? Okay, I turned 60 mm -hmm. that year. Mm -hmm. I was buying a home. I was ready for the closing. Mm. And then to find out 
the day that it's going to, you're going to purchase it, the day the day before is when you're having this surgery to remove the cancer. And then the day after the surgery was your moving day. So I was not prepared for all of this, yes. So it was a detour because, you know, for 40, for what? I've been doing this for 20 years. A mammogram. So who would have thought at age 60, I would be a breast cancer patient? That's why it was unexpected. I never expected that. Always expected, oh, you're clear. See you next year. And that detour just stopped. But it didn't deter me from getting what I wanted, my house. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't stopping that because <laughs> I had I was paid money. My son was like, "You still gonna go through with it?" And I was like, "I have to go through with this." Right. I put my money down, and this is something I wanted, so I couldn't let it stop me from that. So I just kept pushing. So that was why it's a detour, something I never expected. <laughs> I know, and when I found myself listening. Um, to your podcast, Unexpected Detour. I was just learning a lot, and I guess you were learning as well. After your cancer diagnosis, why was it necessary? Why did you feel that need to tell your story via your podcast? Okay, this is why, this is, you know, I was sitting in my bed one day, and I said, you know, I I kept writing everything down from the day it started. Okay. And I became more knowledgeable about what about cancer period i remember when i went to see the breast surgeon and he was like it's not your fault and i was like well how does this cancer get there Mm -hmm. and he simply explained it to me he even drew pictures that was even awesome i had a visual yes he drew pictures and he said you know like it's a gene And that gene is a bad gene. It breaks off and it attaches to the good genes. You got me? It's a bad gene. And it it floats around and it finds it someplace to attach to. And that's how the cancer started. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And then, unbeknownst to me, why did my son tell me that same story? When he was telling me what... I was like, who is this kid? Is he mine? Did I give birth to this kid? Yes. So he told me the same thing. And I was like, wow. I even asked the oncologist the same story. So I decided I was going to look it up. And when I looked it up, that is exactly what it is. So when people say that it's your fault, only when I can say it's your fault is if you're smoking cigarettes. Yeah, That's lung cancer. Okay. Um, Brock, the BRCA gene is something that's passed down. So you can get breast cancer. Men can get breast cancer from the BRCA gene as well, which I had a doctor and he had his nipples removed because his mother had the BRCA gene. Wow. Yeah. The, on this journey, these are all the people I encountered. Yes. And I was amazed. So I said, I don't want any other woman to call it breast cancer. Because me, I went in there unknowing what breast cancer was. I just Mm -hmm. called it breast cancer. I didn't know there were. I knew about stages, but I didn't know the death 
of each stage. Each stage is composed and is composed of different aspects of it. Mm -hmm. See, my stage is stage 2B. So that means I had stage 2 cancer, which the, the, the uh, lump in the breast was small, but I also had it in the armpit. So it was in the lymph node. But the lymph node was encapsulated, so that cancer only stayed in that lymph node. It never spread because it was like in a, as they explained, it was like in a pea. And it was in that pea, so they removed it where it never spread anyplace else. And then I found out that I had um, a hormonal problem with mine, so I had to take Herceptin. Mine, my breast cancer is caused from hormones. I have too much estrogen and progesterone. Yeah. So this made it aggressive. So I take hormone therapy till today for the next 10 years. And that's why I said, you know, it's important to understand the different aspects of cancer and not walk around like I did saying, oh, I just had breast cancer and not knowing exactly the details about it. So I did my research. I'm going to mm -hmm. tell you, I had that report from the doctor and each word I went on the internet and I diagnosed it. And when I went back to the doctor, I had questions because I wanted to know. Only thing I got wrong was that I thought it was stage um, 2A, which if it was 2A, that means it was nothing in the lymph node. And she was like, no, it's 2B. So that was a big downfall because I got that one wrong. But she was good about it. Yeah, I was like, yeah, because my doctors always tell me, stop self-diagnosing yourself. But I have to know what's going on with me. So they know when I come, I'm looking up stuff, okay? Yeah. I'm going to look up what's going on with me. And a lot of breast cancer women they don't really understand the dynamics of what's going on. They just settle, you know, and I look at them now, I have breast cancer, it's this stage. And I had to tell them, you should ask about those medicines you're taking. Some of those medicines, they have side effects you would not believe. I mean, one of them took out my hair and I said, okay, I, 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 got, I gave up with that one. <laughs> you said, didn't like that one. No, I didn't, but mm -hmm. it was, it had grew back too. And then I noticed it started to get thin, like right here, mm -hmm. like the mat. And I was like, what the hell? So I looked it up okay. and I was like, oh no. Yeah. So I cut it off. My doctor was like, you look cute though. I said, that's not the point. The point is the hair fell out. So, so, you know, I had to be comfortable in my skin. You know, and my son, he gets so, he would get mad at me and he would be like, why are you telling people you have breast cancer? Because they need to know. Go get a mammogram. Do your self-examination. They don't do this. Teach your daughters how to do this. Right. They don't know because they're not taught. My mother taught me as a young person. Mm -hmm. When I first got my menses and you start growing your breasts and she told me these are things that you must do she was a nurse she she made sure that i knew to do that that was my promise to her from age 40 that i would get a mammogram every year 
Yeah. That was and the you, problem. You've, honored, you've, you've definitely honored your mom. You yeah. Honored your mom. And you know, and I was there. Because I was like, you see, I listened to you. You're not here to help me. But uh, mm -hmm. I did it. So I, you know, I so, think I think she I think she helped you because yeah. you always went for your annual yeah. mammogram and that is fascinating to me. I think that is that is wonderful. And one of the strengths of your podcast is your voice and attention to detail. I didn't know there's a difference between um, stage two A and two B. You just taught yeah. me something just now. Your observations, like the use of face and an analog clock to describe where the cancer is located in the breast, and the same way that you used to teach kids to hold the steering wheel creates a visual to, you know, otherwise an audible story. Do you see your purpose as one to demystify breast cancer treatment or to better understand your own experience? Because it sounds like you've done that. You've done research and you, you're, you're educating people. And that, that was the, that was my main thing to educate other women. Yeah. You know, I, even though I got a little disappointed when I wanted to interview them and I understood because I had to put myself in their place, all mm -hmm. of them will not tell the story because it's hurtful. They don't want to be reminded of exactly what they have gone through. So I backed away from them. And when they're ready, they'll tell their story. Right now, I told mine. And I mean, there's a lot more pieces to it because I didn't tell about my 20 radiations. Where I got the burn chest burn all here, here. I mean, I was blind. Yeah. I mean, it was, Valerie, it was like you're in a... Uh, what's that third degree burns with the skin is just it's, that's it's what on i fire was. it's on yeah. fire uh yeah and, and, for, and all that that, for all that you've gone through because you're being very descriptive of all that you've gone through um how do you avoid not feeling sorry for yourself how do you manage that how do i avoid i just keep my face mm -hmm. you know what I'm going to tell you something. When 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 I was going through it, this verse came to me, Jeremiah 29, 11. Your mm -hmm. thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was like, Lord, why did you give me that verse? And the more I went through it, the more I understood exactly why that verse came there. And, you know, it was like a test of faith for me. To say, I believe and I trust you, God, mm -hmm. I had to do that. I had mm -hmm. to show him that I really believe and I trust you with my life. Right. And that I had to believe you were going to make everything okay. And that is really how I, I had to wrap everything up. I made fun of myself of, you know, my little burn marks, for real. I mean, I went to uh, my chemo and every time I aggravated them, when they put me in that one room where I couldn't see nothing, I was like, never again. I want a window seat. So they always knew I was the lady that wanted the window seat because I told them. Now, I explained to them, when you're going through something, right. you don't want to look at four walls. You want to yeah. see some life around you. Mm -hmm. So I sat by the window and they were like, but there's nothing but cars. I said, but it's life. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting there 
thinking about what I'm going through, I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing life. Mm -hmm. And they got it and they understood and they didn't blame me. Who wants to sit in there for eight hours and look at four walls? Nobody. Some treatment. Yeah, the first treatment, it was like eight hours. The rest of them were four hours. So this is what I went through with the chemo. Chemo was four hours long. So I did want to have wanted to look out of a window. And then, you know, I had my nurses. We would talk about everything. We had fun. And, you know, they would admire the wraps on my head because they were like, oh, you got to show us how to do that. So for them, you know, they always tell me I made them feel good when I came in there because I had to remain positive about what I was going through. And believe you me, I went there by myself for those treatments. There was nobody there. My friend came one time, hopefully she never hears this. And and she was like, I'm gonna come with you. And then it was late, we were there from the morning. And by the time we left, it was like eight o'clock at night. She was like, but I'm not driving. Cause she she can't see in the dark. Oh, wow. So I drove us back to my house. Wow. Yeah. After she, getting, whoa, whoa, whoa. After getting treatment, yeah. you drove. And I was on steroids too. And I was like, I'm hungry. I got to eat. So we had to stop. We had to get food. And yeah. Oh I had God. to keep going to the bathroom. I was oh like, my God. This, yeah. So that's why I said, hopefully she never sees this. But it was funny. <laughs> but she did come and keep me company that day. That was great. I have a COVID-19 question for you. Sure. Uh, less than two years, at least three different pharmaceutical companies created vaccines to fight this new disease, COVID-19. World governments fast-tracked the experimental uses. Sites were upset. Seemingly everywhere wanted to distribute it. As you watched this from your vantage point and after what you had gone through, did you ever wonder why isn't this the same urgency in applying to fighting cancer? Of course. I I actually did a podcast about that. Mm -hmm. Why can't they find a cure for cancer? Mm. But they found that quickly. Okay, so that was in the makers for 12 years, but cancer's been around forever. Right, and exactly. I asked them, I said, why the heck you didn't use the healer gene? You got them. Harriet um, Leakes, you have her genes. Mm-hmm. They are there. They cured cancer. They made that vaccine for the HIV. Why didn't you use it for cancer? Don't worry. I had a big, well, I had a big argument with myself on, you know, on my podcast, but it, it bothered me. Yeah, It really did. Because I even asked my doctor, how is it you they can come up with this magical cure but people are suffering from cancer and you can't come up with anything but you're collecting money donations you have all these philanthropists that are supposed to help but mm-hmm. nothing is helping you know and then they'll tell you to do the clinical trials the clinical trials they also have side effects right. so you're really like in a catch-22 you know, so it's like you'd be damned if you do, damned if you don't. And you just pray and stay positive about it. Because when I first found out, I had a lady that I work with. Mm-hmm. She had breast cancer. She's had it for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And the first thing she told me was, 
remove stress. Anybody that stresses you out, even your kids, mm. remove them. Family, anything. Because she said, that is yes. And I actually did that. Good. When people good. would call me on the phone and speak negative, I'll be like, I got to go. And mm. I never call back because I don't want to hear that. I'm going through something, but you're going to tell me about this one died. And I don't want to hear that. Let me get through my journey. Okay. Right. So, it's yeah. a journey. It's a journey. And it's, you have side effects, which I still deal with. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Okay. I'm living. Okay. I wake up every morning. I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. So I keep on living. I enjoy my podcasting. I enjoy my blogging, you know, because I can get downright dirty with them. But I had to change the podcast and call it when life's detours are inevitable because mm -hmm. everything in life has a detour. Either we choose it or we don't, you know? And like I said, a lot of illnesses and things that you do to your body, those are choices you make. Could they be prevented? Yes. So I just had to change it about life itself because there's so many detours around and I don't want to focus just on what I was doing. I wanted everybody to be aware that there are many detours out there. So just be careful. You know, you pick and choose. Yeah, exactly. That's right. I wanted I want to push you in regards to the Black Lives Matter question that you raised in a recent issue. Black oh, Lives Matter good. is not an organization, it's a movement, it's a mindset. You said you said that in an episode you associated the neighborhood of East Harlem with crime, so you assume that the so-called Central Park 5 were guilty. You state all lives matter. Yet your podcast is about breast cancer. So for you, breast cancer matters. Uh, what about prostate cancer? What about tuxedos? Uh, what about well, other forms? That's why I said I had to. I had to change it so I could focus it on other things. Mm -hmm. First, I got to get some guys to come on in. You know, we're going to talk. I told you, cancer. Seriously, cancer is a very, it's a very, very delicate thing to speak of. Mm -hmm. If you're not, if you're not going through it, it's easy to talk. Like my mother, she had lymphoma. She would write in her journal every day. Mm -hmm. That's where I, I saw, I said, she wrote everything. When they stuck her wrong with the needles, everything. She put it in this journal. Wow. She wrote every, and she's been writing from the time she was young, these journals. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, I said I could make her story a book, but I'm not going to do that. That's her story. That's her journey. Let me tell mine. I don't want to push anybody into telling it because when I ask them, they're not ready yet. So I have to wait until they're ready and they're comfortable and they feel like talking to me. You know, because I think we all need to be, you know, educated about cancer, period. Mm -hmm. That's right. And you know, black men, they definitely need to know about this prostate cancer because they don't get checked. Right. You know? Yeah. So and... when I was on, um, when I, I met breast cancer men and one man gave it to his daughter, he had the rocket gene and he felt so bad. 
He was mm-hmm. crying because yeah. his daughter has breast cancer. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So this so it, it's been interesting. And and the education that people get um, from listening to your podcast overall. What do you hope your story, your podcast will accomplish when others hear your message ultimately? I know my story is a wake-up call. But those other things I talk about, those are wake-up calls. And back to that Black Lives Matter, why I wrote that is Mm -hmm. because it's not that we don't matter, but the things that the organization has done with the money, it upset me. Mm. Because they've spent it on themselves. They didn't spend it on communities. Every day I turn on the news, is another black child being killed. Why mm-hmm. aren't they out there then? Why are they out there only when these high profile murders, but you have kids being killed, people being killed all the time, just like today in New York, a little kid 16 years old, sitting in a car, getting shot in the head. Okay, come on, his life didn't matter. Nobody says anything about you sweep it under the rug. And so that's why I said that. And I know uh, a lot of people may not like it, but it's the truth. And it bothered me for a long time. I wouldn't even buy a t-shirt because that bothered me. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah I know. really I know. did. You got you to gotta make sure that the stress stays out of your life because you're on the other side. You are a survivor. Right. That's yes. why I write about it because I, I feel free. Oh, Once good. I say what I gotta say, I'm free. Yeah. I'm free. I'm free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those are the things that, you know, you look at every day, mm-hmm. you know, because I see all this racism. I was a victim of racism mm-hmm. in the fifth grade being called Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman. Yes. I went to a Catholic school with all white kids, only Mm -hmm. black women in the class. Mm -hmm. This is what I face. And that's not how I was raised. So for me, it was a culture shock. Mm -hmm. We call those names when you got a white uncle and these people are calling you names. I'm like, what? You know, so for me, I take them personally because the world needs to wake up. We all bleed the same color. Hey, we all going, we all go, as my mother used to tell me, we all be all born and we're all going to die. And nobody ever came back to tell you where you went when you died. So, mm-hmm. so get it right. Yeah. That's right. Because if they did, yeah. then that's a, I don't know. That's a that weird, would be more incentive weird... to do the right thing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. If people, if people wanted to find you and your podcast, where would they go? They can find me on Anchor, Spotify, uh, Google, um, Apple. It's a plethora of them. But all I got to do is type in the unexpected detour with the heart. It has to have the heart. Otherwise, you won't find it. The uh, the blog is on WordPress, and it's called the unexpected detour with the heart. And usually what I do, it's it'll be the podcast. And then it'll be the blog. It'll be, usually it's the same subject. So it could be the same thing. So, because I only do them the 15th and the 30th of the month, those podcasts. So the next one will be coming up on the 15th. 
So stay tuned. I got a good subject. Okay. Cool, Francis. Yeah. Francis, yeah. Francis Hammond. Thank you so much for joining me on today. I appreciate you sharing your story. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, it was it was it was a good time. Thank you. I'm yeah. Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more backwards thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, more poverty. Wake up, our teachers, time to teach. Next time on Interludes. Well, I have, you know, from my, my kids I've had over the years played AAU, they, they call me the coach's coach. So I think the players, they respect you when they know that you played the game. I think the style that I like, mm -hmm. I like to play good aggressive defense. The, the fans are not coming to watch anybody walk around. I want to bring an exciting style of basketball, fast-breaking style of basketball. The, you know, I want these young women to be in a position that if there is a call from a WNBA team, and these women are ready to take that next step and they're ready to step right in and be ready to play. A talented women's basketball coach representing the Women's National Developmental League, Tony Thompson, on the next Interludes. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble. Produced by Valerie Johnson and Michael Womble. Original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. Brought to you by our national sponsor, Montevilla, the natural weight loss coffee and tea brewed with MTC oil and Ramon seeds. For more information and to purchase Montevilla coffee and tea, please visit linktr.ee forward slash pure light media our local title sponsor a1 pest masters for all your exterminating and pest control needs call a1 pest masters at area code 773-365-9962 or visit their website at a1pestmasters.com when you book your appointment with a1 pest masters tell them that you heard it first on the podcast called interludes to subscribe to our youtube channel or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website linktr.ee forward slash Pure Light Media. <laughs>